Welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jay Shabat, to discuss second quarter numbers and how Cathay did during the period. Enjoy. Hey, Jay, how are you doing this week? Ned, good morning. Morning from uh, Colorado here. I'm we're, uh, recording this early in the morning, so I, I am sitting in my rental car with a cup of coffee as we as we do this. So <laughs> it is a, a a unique airline weekly lounge. It'd be even better if I was in the airport parking garage, but I'm not. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's that's what we call remote working. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so hey Jay, we're we're getting near the end of second quarter earnings here, and and it's been an interesting ride. Tell us uh, some of the some of the numbers you've got there. Yes, and as Ned mentioned, we're we're talking on Friday morning here, so we have uh, uh, some of the ones that just reported as well this week, including Air Canada, which went this morning. Uh, a few others that uh, that I picked up this morning. Uh, so yeah, we're we're almost done with Q two earnings seasons. Season we we have a few big ones left. The Chinese airlines having it reported, uh, a few stragglers in Europe, Norwegian, AG, and a few others. But uh, we have we have pretty much um, pretty much a full contingent here, and uh, so at this point we can we can start declaring winners, or at least uh, we can see well who's shaping up to be, be the, uh, the the winners and the losers for that matter. And so far of any airline worldwide, in terms of operating margin, which is a good way to compare across different airlines, uh, Copa Airlines from Panama, number one, 24% margin. That's incredibly strong. And no huge You, you really can't beat that Copa Airlines profit machine. It seems a pandemic, not even a pan- global pandemic could, uh, could, could hit them. You know, they're just solid performer all the time, it seems. Solid performer. And that's exactly what I was going to say, is that they uh, no big surprises there. Copa has... For many, many years, uh, been just the profit machine, to, to use your words, Ned. Uh, really, um, just just a really bulletproof business model. So they continue to do well. Now, now coming in at number two at 22%, uh, much different story. Not an airline that has traditionally done well. In fact, just the opposite. It's Philippine Airlines. What's going on oh. there? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and they've, been, they've been kind of creeping up to the top in the last few quarters, too. And that's simply a matter of uh, well, one, they they went through just heavy, heavy restructuring during the pandemic, so they were able to uh, just you know even restructure their labor costs. I mean, that's one thing you see in the United States, for example, in Europe, you see labor costs generally uh, uh, inflationary. I mean, there's there's been a big increase in, in what uh, airlines have had to spend on spend on labor. But in some places, in some airlines, Philippine Airlines is a good example, you actually see labor costs going down because of the restructuring that they've done since 2019. So that's yep. one reason. They've got their costs under control. Uh, and then the other you know, simple fact is that in Asia in particular, and this is true really all around the world with, uh, you know, you just have this big demand, post-pandemic demand resurgence, but it's really pronounced in Asia right now. And so, and it's particularly about Asia long haul in particular. So Philippine Airlines. Asia, we've been talking about Asia. It's, I mean, the recovery is really 2023 into 2024 is going to be about the return of Asia travel. Whereas we saw US a year ago, Europe this summer. I mean, I think Philippine Airlines and and pretty much every other airline in Asia is is just going to be looking forward to a surge in travel as as capacity and travelers get back to pre-pandemic sort of norms. Yeah, Totally. 
And I think it's it's sort of common knowledge now. We've t- certainly talked about a lot how the transatlantic market between North America and Europe is uh, just really, really gangbusters right now and just producing extraordinary profits for any airline in that market. Uh, but what's maybe less discussed is that the trans-Pacific market is equally strong. And Philippine Airlines, it's interesting. So Philippine Airlines reported, uh, I think it was either yesterday or this morning, they um, they reported and their rival Cebu Pacific reported as well. And Cebu did well, but not nearly as well. And what that kind of signals to me is that the, the long haul stuff to North America is really doing well because that's the uh, distinguishing feature between the two. Philippine Airlines has that long haul and Cebu doesn't. So doesn't Cebu have some high density A330s or did they drop those during the pandemic? No, they have them, but they tend to run them to Australia and the Middle East, I believe, is uh, is where they're doing it right now. I don't know if they ever use it on Hawaii or if they, if they are currently, but it's not a North American thing um, as far right. as, you know, they're not and doing Let's not California. forget that, that, you know, Philippine demand to the Philippines is clearly strong because we've got United Airlines planning to launch service yeah. from San Francisco to Manila, which is their first ever nonstop to the Philippines uh, from the the mainland U.S. We, you know, it's uh, so demand is clearly out there if, if United's willing to put some planes on that route. Yep, and remember that the, the U.S. in particular and Canada as well, but the U.S. has a very very large uh, expatriate uh, Philippine population, uh, overseas Filipinos they call it, and so uh, you know a lot of those people just weren't able to visit family and whatnot over the past couple of years during the pandemic. So that's just that, that's typically a pretty low yield market. I mean, it's just you know people paying out yeah. their own pocket, but. It's. Uh, I have a feeling just right now that's uh, the yields on that are are, are pretty good, um, very strong. So yeah, that's uh, Philippine Airlines up on, up on top. Uh, the the other thing I wanted to mention about the trend, not to go off on a tangent, but the Trans Pacific market. I think it's very important for people to, to recognize this. Um, and this is not helping Philippine Airlines per se because their hub is too far south. But for any for any carrier with a hub, Asian carrier with a hub, uh, let's say north of Hong Kong. Um, they're getting this huge bump right now from North America to mainland China traffic because the nonstops between North, between those two markets are basically non-existent or you know very very thin. Uh, there's I think twelve weekly flights for both for airlines from both countries is uh, is yeah basically non-existent compared to fifty plus daily flights before the pandemic. So yeah, it's. <laughs> There it's, you go. Minimal. There you go. But the demand is still there. I mean, there's a lot of people. I know personally, I was talking to someone last night who was visiting family in China and from the US and flew JFK, Hong Kong, Hong Kong, Shanghai. Uh, so that market is very strong, but it all needs to be funneled through a hub. So people are going through Hong Kong, they're going through Seoul, they're going through Tokyo. So if you're flying, you know, North America, Tokyo, or North America, Hong Kong, North America, so you're, those flights are really, really strong right now. Um, you can imagine the yields are really, really high. So that's just one oh, yeah. other and, aspect of Asia that I want to point out. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I mean, we've, I've written about this, like Korean Air and Delta, ANA United, JAL American, uh, they're all seeing boosts on on yields and some of those routes you know we have more details on some than others korean air and nana have talked about it a bit more than jaw has but but all those carriers are doing well yeah the second quarter has been interesting you know the one thing i wanted to highlight um 
in this section segment is just the the interesting situation in the U.S. We've got the airlines keep adding back capacity at a a rapid clip. I mean, you could say that it's really um, not adding back anymore, but growth and yields are starting to fall in the second half of the year. And there really is an interesting question about you know is it oversupplied? And I think from a sh- simple air travel demand outlook, it's not because domestic air travel demands remains very strong. But if we're looking at it from a, a yield perspective, and airlines love those yields to be going up, it's, uh, you know, it's starting to get the, the the question of whether we need capacity discipline in the US is starting to come back. And I'm interested to see what comes in the coming quarters as, as US airlines start to adjust their capacity plans. Um, and if business travel comes back, and that's the perennial question, I think we've heard from earnings calls around the world is that business travel is not back pretty much globally. I know in the US and Europe, it's sort of hovering in the 70 to 80% range of 2019 levels. Um, Not sure about Asia at the moment, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's lower, simply because the recovery there is a bit behind those other markets. But it's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting demand situation markets that came back already, like the US, which recovered pretty much last year. Yeah, right. And remember, we'll talk about Cafe Pacific in a moment. And they, uh, had some interesting things to say about corporate travel. We'll, we'll get there, uh, but um, you're right. It's it's so far the story has been that corporate travel volumes. And when we talk about corporate travel. We're talking about you know comp, uh, travelers that are flying on contracts that companies sign with the airlines. Uh, you know they offer them discounts in favor of uh, you know volume commitments or whatever. Uh, so that traffic is in volume terms has been as you mentioned down thirty. 20, 30% from 2019 levels, but it hasn't really been an issue because yields have been up so much yeah. that in yeah. revenue terms, it's actually probably even better. The corporate travel is probably even up for a lot of airlines. And then on top of that, a lot of the seats, a lot of the premium seats that the corporate flyers used to occupy are now being bought by leisure travelers, by you know higher income tra- leisure travelers. So it just hasn't really been a big issue for the airlines so far. That's not to say that it won't be going forward if the you know premium leisure starts to cool off. We'll, we'll, you know, that's a 2024, 2025 question. Absolutely. You know, it's uh, I think people are you know I, a few people are probably booking their summer 2024 travel at this point. So we're going to see what happens there. But I, I expect a, a, if not this fall as we go into the first half of 2024. I think U.S. domestic capacity growth is going to come down pretty quickly. We've already heard that from, say, Southwest, which which just said they're going to, you know, start adjust making schedule adjustments, day of week adjustments, and stuff to boost profitability. But I think we're going to see capacity growth slow down in the U.S. Uh, I mean, it's it's already above 2019 levels, so it's going yeah. to see. And right. then, of course, this right. is the big question for everybody. Right, and it will happen to some extent, not even by the carrier's own volition. Sometimes it's just they have no choice because. Boeing and Airbus are not delivering the planes, so they have to, you know, cut their capacity for that reason, or because you know, and then look at New York with FAA exactly, just extended the uh, mm-hmm. the slot waivers for ten percent of flights through the end of yeah. October. And you know, I love the the euphemism like as we near an agreement on air traffic control staffing. Um, it's it's like you don't just get new air traffic controllers in there because you reach an agreement. Like it's it's a years long <laughs> process. So. You know, right, I, right. I think we're going to see more more restrictions in the New York area next summer. But um, yeah. yeah, so you US, U.S. airlines, yeah. and to extent, I mean, all airlines around the world are kind of having capacity discipline imposed upon them. 
and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it's uh, it's frustrating for time. You know, there's at times there's airlines that want to grow, and growing can help you lower your unit costs and you know steal market share and whatnot. But uh, but it certainly is lifting uh, yields across the industry. So it's uh, might not be a bad thing overall. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, Jay, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back, and we're going to talk about cafe. And we're back. As promised, we're going to look at Cathay Pacific's uh, second quarter results. Now, Jay, this is an airline that I, I mean, just over a year ago, we were all wondering if if would survive the pandemic. And, and here they are. How'd they do in the second quarter? Well, and, and just to uh, preface uh, this, uh, you know, I'll read the numbers, but uh, you're right. They not only uh, would not, they, they in fact, would not have survived if not for, uh, you know, very generous government aid from the Hong Kong government. And, and that's not, I, I should say that that's not entirely uncommon. Lots of airlines, including those in the U.S., uh, were uh, kind of owe their, owe their existence uh, to pandemic era government aid. So nothing too unusual there, but they, they were really in bad shape. And what's, what is unusual about Cathay is they actually had a, uh, a terrible disruption in 2019 as well. They were already uh, facing all sorts of difficulties before the pandemic even started because of social unrest in Hong Kong. A lot of people were staying away. So yep. they, they have had, they've had a very lengthy and extended period of uh, you know, poor performance. But like other Asian airlines, they're you know coming out of the pandemic gangbusters now. It took them longer, you know. It's it's, it's been uh, it really was only until late 2022 that a lot of Asian countries removed their travel barriers. But they are all gone now. And Cathay in the first half of 2023 earned a solid 12% operating margin. Uh, they surely earned an even higher percentage on just their passenger operations. They don't disclose that. But their cargo did extremely well during the pandemic. That's dropped off a bit. Now, most carriers will tell you, I was listening to Turkish Airlines this week as well. They said the same thing, that cargo is, you know, revenues down like 30, 40% year over year, but the yields, cargo yields are still higher than they were in 2019. So it's not like a disaster or anything. Uh, it's, it's still a solid business. But Cathay, you know, I think where the action is right now is on the passenger side, and again, so referring back to what we said earlier, uh, North. I mean, America, I'd argue, I'd argue, an aside that passenger is where things are right now. Pretty much every airline, not just every, Cathay, yeah. but that, yes. that's an aside. Yes, and I, and I just call out them because cargo is such a large percentage of their business. Uh, so you know, for United or U.S. airline, it's it's not that meaningful. But for I don't know what it is, but is it 30 percent of their you know business and pre-pandemic was was cargo. I don't know what it is today, but uh, so so it's, you know, it, it really moves the needle for them. But anyway, yeah, the, the airline total, you know, company overall, 12% operating margin, pretty good. Uh, so things are going pretty well. And, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, the North America just has to be great. Not only are, you know, people coming to Hong Kong directly again, but also just using the Hong Kong hub, uh, particularly to get into mainland China. Now they said actually, that um, they've been pleasantly surprised with business, corporate travel, business travel. They said that's been very strong. Um, and I think that's also, in fact, they, I don't think they said that a lot of that is companies that need to get back into China. So 
you know, I don't know if that's and like we said with, with with flights restricted coming from the U.S. North North America, really, and some other key markets. It's uh, Hong Kong and anywhere north, pretty much, is, is sitting pretty in, in capturing that demand into China. Yep, yep. That's I think it's exactly that. And I picture in my mind, you know, someone from Silicon Valley, whether it's an Apple executive or whoever, has some uh, some business in China, and you know, can't get there on a nonstop flight anymore, and. Uh, it has to go through a place like Hong Kong. So yeah, they're, they're um, certainly benefiting from that. Now there are still some long-term sort of existential questions about, you know, is, is Hong Kong as a financial center going to ever be the same again? There have just been so many political changes that have happened over the past couple of years that some people, you know, wonder about that. There's also new competition in the area. There's uh, this new Greater Bay Airlines, which seems pretty ambitious. Um, they're trying to challenge Cathay and just over the, uh, you know, just across the border is uh, Shenzhen, this, the mainland city of Shenzhen. You have Shenzhen Airlines, which is owned by Air China, which is partly owned by Cathay. So they're kind of all together in in a sense, but they are separate airlines and they are separately managed. And, you know, I, I think, you know, Shenzhen, at least things have changed a lot, you know, during the pandemic. But uh, certainly before the pandemic, Shenzhen was a very ambitious airline uh, under Air China. So um, Cathay does have you know issues like that. And there's more capacity at the airport as well because we've got a third runway there. So it's um, yep. more open to new competition. Well, I'd like to talk about that third runway. It's, um, so Cathay, as part of their earnings announcement, uh, announced an intention to buy 32 Mori 321 Neos. And, you know, that's a top-up order. They ordered 32 in 2017 as well. But the interesting thing was in the press release, they specifically mentioned the third runway system. And I I was reading an interesting post by uh, Will Horton, an analyst uh, in New York who used to be in Asia, talking about how, you know, Cathay may be buying those planes in, in one measure to take advantage of that third runway and, you know, sort of, you know, stake a claim to, to grab the slots that are going to become available from the third runway so that they can, you know, maintain their dominance in Hong Kong, which I thought was an interesting perspective. And considering the mention of the third runway in the release, it seems quite logical that they're at least, you know, those planes are, are probably mostly for growth, uh, whether they're going to be, you know, grabbing slots so competitors can't get them is another question. But it's uh, clearly they're, they're looking forward to having more flights through Hong Kong. You know, this is an airline, Cathay didn't fly a narrow body, uh, not counting their Dragonair subsidiary, until they, they merge with Dragonair. So it's, you know, and now they're buying, they're going to they're gonna have 64 A320, A321 Neos across themselves and, and their HK Express subsidiary. So, you know, I should say I lived in Hong Kong for two years, 2008-2010, and, and, you know, you wouldn't see a Cathay narrow body anywhere. It's <laughs> They're all wide body. So it's, it's interesting to see. I did not know that you lived in Hong Kong there. That's pretty cool. I did. I did. I've got a warm place for Cathay in my heart. I used to fly them regularly. I remember this is, uh, you know, pre 9-11 days, but I remember when I was on a Cathay flight from, where was it? It was maybe JFK to Hong Kong. I'm not sure, but the pilot let me in fly, let me into the cockpit and hang out over Kazakhstan somewhere. And uh, I thought that was like the coolest thing ever. <laughs> so I That's guess I have a, a, a fond place in my heart for Cathay as well. Yeah. Yeah, so it's good to see them do well. But anyway, that's the that's their AQ twenty one Neo order. So it's gonna be interesting to see how those planes are used and how they start taking advantage of that third the uh, third runway now that it's open. 
Yeah, yeah, and this uh, did we mention they have uh, HK Express too, which is their low cost carrier, and they're they've already yes, started it's not taking all some of the that. planes. I should say mm-hmm. will be flown by Cathay proper, but you know it's it's going to be split there. So and they yeah, mentioned they've, mainland they've China, they're going to send some of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that will definitely interesting, and then they have you know those those three twenty ones are pretty pretty decent range too. So they'll uh, yeah they might be able to hit some more markets into the mainland that they maybe weren't able to reach with. Prior generation aircraft and those those neos those twenty one neos are already starting to arrive at HK Express so that's uh, that's underway yes, yes. and with this new order oh, starting to arrive at Cathay Mainline their uh, their twenty seventeen order I, I was able to find a picture but you know that begs the question I wonder if they'll get any XLRs they didn't say in the release yet but I know that there is the ability to sort of swap at, at later points in the delivery stream and you think if they got an XLR out of Hong Kong I mean they could. Oh, gosh, I'm thinking you, like, you think I could that probably make the northern coast of Australia. Yeah, you think that would be a really good aircraft for them, and you have to wonder. Yeah, it's uh, in their yeah. future. It's a good point. Yeah, definitely. Well, Jay, I think that's another episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge. Uh, listeners, thanks for joining us from uh, reporting from my rental car in Denver, Colorado. Um, <laughs> the remote if you want to reach us. <laughs> remote office to the T. Um, if you want to reach us, you can reach me at er at skiff.com. Jay, you can reach Jay at js at skiff.com. Jay, always a pleasure. Yeah, likewise, Ned. And uh, be sure to follow us on LinkedIn. We've been posting regular updates on these, uh, you know, operating margin rankings. See who's who's coming in where, who's who's doing well, who's doing less well. So follow us on LinkedIn, and we'll be back here next week. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.